You're listening to the Super Talk podcast, produced by the Australian Institute of Superannuation Trustees, shaping profit to member super. Yes, hello, and welcome to the Super Talk podcast. My name is Tyrell Mills. With responsible investing practices on the rise and ESG firmly implemented as a hot button issue, we're starting to see a number of case studies into how investors are coming together to drive better outcomes for their members and the world around them. Just recently, we saw two profit to member super funds joining a coalition of fund managers worth upwards of 4.5 trillion US dollars who are calling for online retailer Amazon to implement better labor rights for its workforce. It's all part of a larger picture of investors looking to manage risks in the companies they invest in for the benefit of their members in the long term. Today we're looking at a group of investors who are taking action to engage with the social media companies they invest in in the aftermath of the Christchurch terror attacks. This terror incident was live-streamed to Facebook by the attacker and brought into question the ability of online platforms to stop their sites being used to live-stream objectionable content and also their responsibility to do so. Clearly what has happened here is an extraordinary and unprecedented act of violence. Gun attacks on two mosques on either side of the town. And adding to the horror was the fact that some of this was live streamed on social media. The New Zealand massacre was live streamed on Facebook, announced on 8chan, reposted on YouTube, commentated about on Reddit and mirrored around the world before the tech companies could even react. This is one of New Zealand's darkest days. Days. To shed some light on the collaborative engagement that fund managers are taking with the social media companies, we have Katie Beath from New Zealand Superfund and Marmadu Saar from Northern Trust Asset Management. Katie, Marmadu, welcome. Firstly, Katie, do you just want to give us a bit of an overview of what took place in uh, Christchurch and perhaps what the challenges are around what social media companies are facing? Yes, sure. Well, and and I guess why we got involved and are are leading this global collaboration. So it was this shocking uh, situation which actually sent the whole of New Zealand into a state of shock and disbelief. Um, that such an awful situation could take place in in a country that we proudly call safe and inclusive. So the original footage, talking about some of the challenges that the companies have, the original footage was was viewed 4,000 times before it was taken down off Facebook. Uh, And then in the 24 hours following, 1.5 million copies of it were removed. YouTube was facing uploads of one per second over the following 24 hours and it spread across Twitter and Instagram too. So the global reach of this horrific video was really absolutely staggering. Uh, And New Zealand Superfund holds shares in all of those social media companies and no doubt many of the organisations that are involved with AIST hold shares in those companies too. So that was when we, a few days after the incident, we announced our intention to engage with the social media companies and we have a sole objective which is to get them to strengthen controls around the live streaming and distribution of what we call objectionable content which is content that under no uh, circumstances can anyone argue that it has crossed um, lines. 
So that's where we that's where we've got to today. We've had a wonderful um, response from the global investment community, and we now have um, over eighty organisations behind the initiative, including Northern Trust. Uh, and we continue to be open to new um, members participating. We we need as much support behind us as possible to to um, have a chance at succeeding here. So, have you sat down with the social media companies at this stage and and sort of started? talking through things? We've just gone to that stage, so we're at the very early stage of the beginning of engagement with companies. We've taken time over the last few months to get um, a wider support behind us because um, being New Zealand Superfund, and actually, sorry, I'm also should say I'm speaking on behalf of the other Crown-owned investors in New Zealand that uh, got together and led this with us. It's not just New Zealand Superfund. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are really a small fish out there and um, we need as much support um, and can be much more influential, influential as a collective, uh, using our collective leverage to influence change with companies than we can on our own. Marmadou, do you want to tell me a bit about how Northern Trust came to be involved in this? Sure. So, uh, obviously, we we, we were uh, moved by the unfortunate events that happened. And um, as we are active owners and investors globally, um, we've, we felt that there is a, an opportunity for the likes of us to actually show leadership and, uh, and partner um, in that context. It's not the first time that as an asset manager we are approached by asset owners to consider a different type of topics as a way to engage with companies. We have a, a way to assess the merit, the ground, but also the relevance given our own investment um, approach. And it goes through a different spectrum that ties it to our own active ownership as a company. Also, our corporate affairs and um, other ramification when it comes to legal matters as well. And so I think the, the power of collective engagement should be uh, emphasized. Um, the voice of investors could be unified to address um, issues by companies. And we are seeing more and more platforms that are now available for investors to voice their concern in a concerted way because ultimately companies are faced by a lot of challenges but then as they are being approached by investors or activists, the hardest part for them, if you put yourself in their position, is to um, address each of the issues that they come along. And therefore, they feel more comfortable when you have a concerted approach to actually raise a concern. So that's the way we actually agreed to uh, partner and join forces here in making sure that we could collectively, as an investment community, uh, address that and challenge the uh, status quo of how social media companies are looking at content and ultimately if they can put safeguards and better um, approaches when it comes to product safety. Because arguably, a social media platform is a product and therefore we have to think about the safety of the product or the delivery mechanism and what could be put in place to address that. Katie, what what have the social media companies sort of flagged early on from what their capabilities are, are around to actually stopping this content? They have raised a lot of challenges and there's absolutely no doubt about it that there are challenges. I think it's the, the volume, the sheer volume of uploads uh, that they get is really 
really um, a challenge for them. But we are of the view that technology is is uh, there. Sure, it might need to be improved and worked on to get it working how we want it to, but the basis of the technology is there. Um, th- we've got three avenues that we're pushing the companies on. The first is about things that they can do pre-upload, so things around validation and verification bef- you know, to help uh, detect objectionable content before it's uploaded. The, other, the second bit is once it's uploaded, how it's detected and prevented from uh, distribution. And then thirdly, we're looking at what um, companies can do collaboratively across the industry because this is a not an, an, a company-specific problem, this is an industry-specific problem and it needs coordination and it needs collaboration and these companies have not um, have historically not really collaborated amongst themselves. So there's those three areas that we're exploring um, and we want to explore further with the companies. We also recognise that um, as investors we cannot solve the problem. The companies have really got to be part of this. Uh, so Marmaduke, you give me a bit of an idea. Let's say I'm a fund manager or a trustee and I was considering entering into a sort of shareholder engagement like this, this sort mm-hmm. of collaborative engagement. Yeah. What kind of mindset should I take into it? How, how should, how should uh, sort of fund manager approach mm-hmm. this if they hadn't been involved before? So the great news is that we've made a lot of progress as far as offering platforms to do collaborative engagement. Um, there is a, a platform offered by the United Nations Principle for Responsible Investment, the UNPRI, which been at the forefront of offering a collaborative engagement portal by which you will see a set of issues being light up. And as an asset manager or an asset owner, you could come along and say, I would like to engage with companies on this particular topic. And the topics are broad in nature. They tend to obviously um, cover the three pillars of environmental issues, social issues, or governance. But then having a collective portal is a great way to actually engage and, and, and do it with uh, like-minded investors. So the, the PRI portal has been at the forefront of that, and that was a, a very unique way of doing so. Um, the latest one that I would like to mention is called Climate Action 100+. Plus which was set as a collaborative engagement initiative to challenge oil and gas companies to account for climate risks. And the Northern Trust Asset Management um, have been a signatory of the Climate Action 100+, and we are the lead engager for a U.S. energy company called Valero. And we have other like-minded investors, such as the Presbyterian Search of the U.S. or the U.N. Joint Pension Funds, that are coming along us and raising the similar concern. But we are the lead and the interface between the asset owners, the asset managers, and then the company. So these are examples of how you could use platforms today to engage with companies in a concerted manner, with ultimately as a goal to... Uh, foster dialogue because this is where it starts, but also use that as a complementary approach to voting, which still is an effective way to challenge companies and trying to influence changes. Engagement is what happens prior voting, but then you can still exercise your concern by voting against the chair of a nomination committee, by uh, voting against a lot of set of issues at the ballot when it comes to your own voting rights. That's quite a live issue here in uh, Australia. Uh, what I might turn to now is maybe uh, regulation. Um, so here in Australia, funds want 
uh, even more guidance from regulators and the government about their requirement to engage with the ESG, what they can do, what they can't do, what's expected of them. Uh, Katie, uh, are government regulators coming to the table on this kind of action? I think that we're seeing, uh, well, we've got the stewardship codes, which have also, can, uh, you know, leading and showing good practice. But I think we're really seeing uh, in Europe uh, some some strong government signals around um, ESG and its various forms, including engagement. Marbudu, I saw in a research paper of yours that you described the sort of relationship between financial markets and policymakers as being a constant waltz. Mm-hmm. How is how is that sort of dance going on the global stage? Sure, and the way I describe that in that particular paper is basically the push and the pull that you see between market participant and the regulator. Ultimately, the regulator can provide guidance and oversight. But then on the other side, the leadership, what could shape regulation is also coming from market participants. And I think this is a fascinating part with ESG is that regulation can trigger innovation, but also vice versa. You also have innovation being triggered by new regulation coming to play. So a great example is that after the COP21, we've seen the French government publishing an article asking asset owners and asset managers to account for climate change risks and measure their carbon footprint. It's a set regulation. It's an article published uh, by the French government. And what was the end consequence is that every asset manager had to build the right tools to assess climate risk at a portfolio level and also provide that information back to the investors. So it's interesting how regulation is shaping a either a reporting approach or a disclosure approach, which ultimately can improve um, the assessment of climate risks. That's one way to look at it. The latest uh, regulation we've seen in Europe is called the EU Directive that is looking at the taxonomy around uh, green finance. Because what we've seen is that with the growth of ESG, you have a lot of self-labeled funds that could ultimately uh, be counterintuitive with the ultimate goal of uh, green finance. And we've seen a lot of greenwashing in the industry. So what the EU directive is attempting to do is to provide more clarity around definition, what could be accounted for green, uh, what should be assessed and labeled as green, and what should not be part of that old framework. So that EU directive for me, it's a very, uh, it's a step forward basically to put in place more guidance and oversight around the terminology of green finance ultimately. It's, inter- it's an interesting space because, you know, we almost, as investors, we have the opportunity to feed into this regulation as it develops and make sure it, it's the right type of regulation that leads the right activities. But going back to the social media companies, I mean, it's a clear example of when uh, companies breach their social license to operate or breach their duty of care, which has happened in this case. And you see regulation coming in over the top um, and very quickly. So, you know, we've seen here in Australia, we've seen the G20 issue a statement. We've seen the Christchurch call, which was led by our Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern with Emmanuel Macron. Um, you know, a lot of kind of regulation coming in over over the top um, and or at least giving the um, you know companies a signal that they have to act and they have to act fast. They have to step up, otherwise this heavy-handed uh, side of regulation is going to come into play. 
So to finish up, what, what is the kind of uh, end point of this, if there is at all? Or what's the kind of blue sky that we're working towards? What are you hoping to achieve? With the social media collaboration, look, this is absolutely a long-term project. Uh, we know it's, there's no silver bu- bullet. There's not a quick fix that this is going to solve overnight. Uh, we're committed to um, fit to this for the long haul. Um, we've seen some some uh, great progress even since the Christchurch shootings Um, and we've seen companies make um, some statements that we don't think yet go quite far enough but we will be um, following progress, we'll be holding the companies to account, we'll be supporting the recommendations of the the G20 and the Christchurch call and uh, lending the investor voice to that debate. Thank you to Katie and Marmadou for taking time out of their busy schedules to come and discuss collective ESG action with us here at AIST. This episode has been produced by Tyrell Mills, Janet De Silva, and Veronique Kopf. We also give our thanks to those at Northern Trust Asset Management who helped make this episode happen. You've been listening to Super Talk. Until next time, bye for now. Listener.